So I think for me, it's like whatever it takes to get the owner on board to be like, I see the problem. I think that's the most important thing. Welcome to the Sawyer Vet Now What, the podcast. This is a show that serves as your audio mentor in your journey as a veterinarian. And each week, our awesome host, Dr. Mariah McCauley, will be bringing you insightful short-form interviews with happy, successful vets who are eager to share their career and clinical tips to make your life easier. So whether you're a final year vet student or a recent graduate, this podcast is your trusted companion on the pathway to success in veterinary medicine. Over to you, Mo. Welcome back to So You're a Vet, Now What? I'm your host, Dr. Mariah McCauley. If you go into small animal general practice after graduation, you will undoubtedly talk with clients about dental care and co-hats on what can feel like a daily basis. As a new grad, you'll end up creating your own flow on how to have this conversation, but it can be difficult and clunky at the start. Here to share her knowledge and tips on how to make this conversation easy and approachable is Dr. Amy Thompson. In this episode, we cover the appropriate verbiage to use when discussing dental treatments, how to discuss the cost of care, and how to make your client a teammate in the treatment plan for their pet. There is a ton to cover, so let's dive right in. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of So You're a Vet Now What? Today, I am beyond excited to welcome my good friend and colleague, Dr. Amy Thompson, to the show. Amy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a conversation that I feel like is going to be very, very valuable to our new graduates, partly because it's something that they're going to do on the daily. So before I dive into that, I want them to know like you are an amazing source of information for this particular topic because you are a boarded dentist and oral surgeon. So if anybody has this conversation <laughs> more than anyone else, it is you. So I'm sure you have lots of tips to help these students and these new grads have that conversation of how do I talk to clients about dental care and dental disease and recommending a co-hat. So I guess first things first, like for people who don't know, like what is a co-hat? Great question. Well, thank you again. I do have this conversation a lot and I would say now in my career, I have owners coming to me expecting this conversation, but I did spend four years in general practice. So I do have some in the trenches street cred, as they say, <laughs> of seeing pets where owners weren't motivated to see a dentist. And I do think that that's helpful because I think general practitioners, family vets have a lot of challenges where they have an owner that may be coming in for one thing and they're finding other things. So cohat is sort of a term that was coined probably at least 10 years ago. And so it's one that I continue to use, but it uh, COHAT is uh, the acronym for Comprehensive Oral Health Assessment and Treatments. So it's meant to just sort of embody everything that will be done and a little bit more descriptive than a dental as, you know, dental is not an adjective. So just trying to fully encompass what's being done. Some people will use, I think I've heard core before. So comprehensive oral radiographs and examination, then kind of you have to talk about the treatments that would be done. So it's just a way to kind of encompass everything that will be done under the anesthetic event. And do you think it's beneficial to use that verbiage compared to saying your dog needs a dental? I do. I think 
it's interesting because I've seen different veterinary associations talk about cohats and cohats with x-rays, which is a bit confusing to me because you're not comprehensive without radiographs. So I would argue that there is no such thing as a cohat without radiographs, just my personal opinion. And so I just think it's important, regardless of what acronym you're using, and I know we want to try and get away from acronyms because owners might not know what they are. I often will mention that in, you know, follow-up emails or discharges and things like that. But generally when I'm talking to owners, I'll talk about like we need to do an examination and that includes radiographs because even when they're still under anesthesia, I can still only see half of the tooth. So I think just really honing in on what's being done and what can be done when their pet's under anesthesia. For sure. And I think that kind of brings into the question of a lot of clients, like when they come to me, they're asking like, what do you do during a dental? Like what actually happens? Because a lot of people, they're like, oh, do they have to go under? I'm like, yes, (laughs) like that is 100%. And so when clients ask that question, what would you say would be an appropriate response from the general practitioner? Yeah, I think just because they don't know what's included in a dental. So when we talk about radiographic examination, tooth by tooth examination is normally like the verbiage I use when I'm talking to owners. I try and keep the acronym for like after they've been educated on things like follow-up materials. And so then once you say, you know, we're going to take tooth by tooth examinations and unlike you and I, which will hold the plate between their teeth, obviously, you know, George over here is not going to sit still for that. And so once we kind of talk about that, then it becomes sort of like an obvious link between needing general anesthesia for what we do. Just having that understanding of like exactly what's happening during the procedure. And I guess the follow-up from that is having clients understand that their dog or cat has dental disease. Like how do we get them to understand that or how do we show them that even in the consult room? Yeah. And I would say, you know this by now and anyone that is sort of shares the Instagram world, I ask veterinarians, technicians, students, and owners to veer away from the term dental disease to periodontal disease. And the reason I do that is language is really important. So if we're telling them that it's just the teeth that are diseased, I'm sure we've all heard, well, that tooth fell out, so it's fine now. And I think, and maybe that's just my perception, but I think if we're telling owners that it's the teeth that are diseased, then it's very common for the response to be like, oh, well, it will just fall out and everything will be fine. And so I think language does matter. So periodontal disease being the disease of the periodontium, which holds the teeth in the jaw. So it's the only really part of the tooth technically that's diseased is the cementum on the root. And then you have the periodontal ligament that goes cementum to the bone, the alveolar bone, and then the gingiva. And so I will use the term periodontal disease. And I think that's important because the only really piece of the periodontum we can really see well, unless it's really severe, is the gingiva. So something as, you know, quote unquote, simple as showing the owner the inflamed gum tissue, or I'll say the gingiva, which is the gum tissue. And I would say like, this is stage one of disease. So we already have disease. Like this is something very clearly that owners can see, whether they choose to accept it or not is a whole different thing. But this is defined as stage one periodontal disease. And there's only four stages. And so I often will say, like, I'm really concerned about the plaque and calculus. 
Um, and I think that's important to acknowledge, but we need to remember that the plaque and calculus is not the disease. It is the body's response to that plaque and calculus that is the disease. And so really focusing on that gingiva. I personally also think it's important because then comes in the whole, well, if we just get rid of the calculus, then we'll treat the disease, which is why we'll have owners trying to chip away calculus or thinking, you know, these awake cosmetic cleanings are beneficial. So I think really focusing on what the disease is and the fact that that gum tissue is inflamed and we need to treat it in a way that we get rid of that inflammation if there isn't any further disease, but we need tooth by tooth exam and we need full mouth x-rays to actually decide, is it worse than stage one? Because I know with my eye and I can show the owner we're at least stage one, but we could be worse. No, I think that that is really important. And again, that verbiage of periodontal and explaining that it's the other tissues besides the bony tooth that's there that's actually diseased. And sometimes it can, I don't know if I have used it a couple times, because it makes it look really dramatic as if you pull out a black light. Yeah. And you're just like, look at all of this. Because like, yes, that is, again, it's just the plaque and tartar or the mm-hmm. calculus that you're seeing. But it's so dramatic that clients are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now I, I see something compared to, oh, I just saw a little bit of staining or saw a little bit of redness, which they weren't aware was a level of disease. So where do you stand on maybe pulling out a black light in, in these cases? I mean, I think whatever it takes to sort of bridge that gap between what we know is disease and having the owner on board. I've never personally pulled one out, but I'm not to say that that isn't something that can be done. I mean, there's been like little strips that you can wipe on there and then it changes color based on like how much volatile sulfur compounds there are, which is just like breakdown of tissue. And a lot of you know, general practitioners and dentists have used that with success. For me, it's sort of like, but we're going to trust this little piece of paper that changes color, but not like just looking. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it's like whatever it takes to get the owner on board to be like, I see the problem. I think that's the most important thing. I think that's, we talk a lot about, you know, owners don't want to spend the money on it or da da da, whatever, whatever that verbiage is. And also, you know, the concern of anesthesia. And I think that, you know, cost and anesthesia are part of it. But if they don't agree that there is a problem, that there is disease, we're never going to get over those other two humps, right? Um, So I think it's really important to spend that time. I know it was really hard the last time we talked, it was during, you know, curbside veterinary medicine. So that's really tricky. Now that we're having clients back in the rooms, I think for most people, and this is just something for the whole exam, but I like to talk through my physical exam because we're doing so much so quickly that a lot of owners don't think we've done a complete. I've heard that many times that they don't think that we've done a complete exam because what we're doing is so quick and they're not really noticing all the subtleties and things we're picking up. So I will mention like, oh, we've got abrasion and we've got calculus and we've got gingivitis or gingival recession or there's a fracture. Like I will verbally talk those things out so that they're aware And it may seem silly, but I think if you're quiet through the whole exam, then you're like, okay, here's all the things you have to spend money on. It creates this kind of gap instead of like hearing the disease that you're picking up on exam, having a conversation about why that concerns you, then having the conversation about how we treat it, and then getting to the scheduling, the anesthesia, the cost of everything. Yeah, like bringing them on to that team so that they're like, okay, yes, I see the problem. Then they can ask the question of, what do we need to do about it? Because then that gives them a little bit more ownership in a way about 
being part of the team member that puts this plan together, I guess is a, a way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like if I'm talking about, I'm really concerned about this, da, 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 a lot of owners will be like, okay, well, what do we do? And then they're asking for the solution instead of us giving, giving them an estimate with a large price tag attached to a solution that they didn't ask for. No, I think that that is such an important part that can get really glossed over, especially if you're a new grad, because you're just so set on do your exam in the same pattern and you're just you're trying to not miss anything. Mm-hmm. So you have your stethoscope in your ears and you're listening for those murmurs and then you're listening to the lungs and you're feeling the abdomen like, but you're not talking about it with a client. And again, this is something that will help you if you are doing dental disease, if you're looking for heart murmurs, if you're looking for arthritis, like anything talk through your exam. Part of it, like for me, I'm a verbal processor, so it really helps um, to talk my exam out. Um, But for the client, again, it allows them to see the value in what you are doing, which that value, um, when we show them the estimate, can sometimes be like, what? Especially because like here in the States, the average dental is probably at least $1,000 to $1,200. And that is probably like you are getting your comprehensive oral exam, radiographs, your scale, your polish, your probing, like anything and every, like I tell the clients, I'm like, we do everything that your human dentist does. We just have to do it under general anesthesia. So that way they're already expecting like a lot of stuff to happen um, during this dental. But still you show them that at least probably, I guess, 12, 11 to $1,300 bill. And you're like, this is the cohab part. If there's any extractions or dental treatments that need to be done additional, we could go up to easily. I mean, I had a dental the other day that was probably like $2,500 easily, easily. And I had to, I discounted things because we were so over the estimate because this dog had so much hidden dental disease. It was insane. We like maxed out our anesthesia time. And I was like, you have to come back for a round two. Like it was that bad. But still, like, how do you have the conversation with those clients that helps them be on board and validates the cost of that cohat? Yeah. I mean, I just like will say it. Like, I'll just say, like, I know that this is like a large expense. I do know that this is quite expensive. And I will sometimes say, like, I don't have $1,500 lying around to do this. I don't know many people that do. However, this is what Max needs based on what I'm seeing at minimum. I always put ranges on and like over 10 years, I've gotten pretty comfortable with like looking at a dog or a cat. Being yeah. like, we'll probably need this plus in a half hour, but that takes time. And so I'll just say like, I know that this is a lot of money. And sometimes I'll just like try and button it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just hard to do. And just like see their reaction or hear their reaction and like know where they're coming from so that like I can meet them where they're at because they may be thinking like, okay, but like what's the upper limit or like how often do we have to do that? Or they're like not even thinking about the money. They're concerned about anesthesia because their friend's grandmother's cat died under anesthesia. Like, you know what I mean? Like we just don't really know what is what their history is. Yeah, exactly. And what is like within their means and not right. I mean, I think we've all had those circumstances where you're like, these owners probably can't afford anything based on judgments that we make on like the car that they drive in or like the way they present themselves in their clothing or their hair or whatever. And then you have other owners that you think will have no problem paying for a bill. Like we just need to get out of the habit of making these judgments. And so as hard as it is being a very chatty individual is sometimes just saying like, I appreciate that this is quite expensive. And then giving them the space. 
yeah, and giving them the space to have a reaction to it. Because sometimes I'll have owners being like, oh, wow, I thought it was going to be six grand. So they're like happy with two grand. Like, and you're like, there's okay. There's no way to know, <laughs> right? Because we don't know, yeah. you know, what other medical bills they've had with these pets before. Like, you know, like we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so I think just like acknowledging it and then trying your best to like let them have a reaction, which is hard. Some owners don't want to give up information, but the more we kind of let them react and talk, we can kind of meet them where they're at. And also maybe using the phrase like, is this something that we can do for George or for Fluffy? Kind of it also gives them the space to say, hey, I'm here to help you with this. I'm not just saying this is the bill. Deal with it. I'm really here to see all right, this is what it is going to cost. What are the barriers that you have that we can try and overcome together? Or maybe what are the things that I can help you maybe try and plan for insurance, care credit, like, oh, what are the options that are available? And from there, it typically does, it takes them off the defense and it gives them the space to say, oh, I'm actually a part of the team, which is Kind of like the whole thing of veterinary medicine is we are not just here to tell you what to do and um, grin and bear it, but it's literally like, how do I bring this client into our team so that we can together take care of this patient? So I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's sometimes hard in the moment. So I mean, I'm always kind of like reflecting on interactions I've had and just trying like, again, like this stuff goes back to like second year vet school, our art of veterinary medicine course, which was all about like communication and that kind of thing is just trying to do open-ended questions, right? Because it's like, did you want to go ahead and book this or can we do this? And then it's like, yes or no versus like, how are you feeling about this treatment plan? And they can't just say yes or no. (laughs) They have to give me something more than yes or no so that I can kind of gauge where they're at. No, I think that's really important. And in a way, I'm like, oh, we're ending the episode on a money talk. But it is something that is very important. And I honestly, I feel like I have kind of brushed up on some of my skills on how to have this conversation just by talking with you. So thank you so much for joining today. And and I know there's probably lots of first year vets out there that are like, wait, I have more questions. And (laughs) if that is the case, I know Amy is very willing to answer. She has a fantastic Instagram and TikTok, which we'll put in the show notes so that you guys can reach out to her, ask your questions. She is phenomenal with these things and is always looking for ways to help you guys learn. So with that, Amy, I will say thank you once again for joining and we'll see you guys all next week. Bye. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. So that's it for another show. Thank you so much to Dr. Mariah and her guests for today's tips. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do to support early stage vets in their careers, then check out my book, Sorry Vet Now What? or non-clinical skills training class of the same name. Until next time, take care.